I grew up in a very religious environment and maybe you did too. And maybe you had a lot of fun with it. Mine was not that fun. I didn't have fun church friends. I didn't do a lot of fun church activities. Instead, my religious environment was very strict and everything we did that didn't involve church was a sin. Movies, sinner. Alcohol, sinner. Physically touching a girl in any way, sinner. Making sex before marriage, go ahead and burn you heathen. Well, all of that was actually pretty nice compared to what David Berg was up to. Who was he? Find out on this episode of Our Weird World. Our Weird World. Welcome back to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson. This week we're getting religious, which is kind of fun for me. Uh, I like to joke around that I was brought up in a religious cult and that the only real difference was that I was allowed to go home at the end of the day. People in my hometown, when they learn where I went to school and who I was associated with, they always give me that, ooh, I'm sorry, response. You know, because, I mean, that's just the reputation that my Christian school had in the town. So, you know, but, you know, look, even though they had a reputation, they're definitely not the worst people in the world, right? People like David Berg are. And now, it's story time. David Berg was born on February 18, 1919, in Oakland, California. His parents were traveling missionaries, and they held revivals as part of the Berg Evangelistic Dramatic Company. And because of this overly strict, sexually repressed upbringing that came with being in a missionary family, uh, Berg all, it like jumped into just having issues. He had an incestuous relationship with his cousin at age seven. And by the time he was a teenager, he was completely obsessed with sex. All right. When he turned 21, he was drafted into the army and he was sent to Fort Belvoir, I guess. I don't know. I didn't find a pronunciation guide for it, uh, but that's in Virginia. All right. However, he caught a serious case of pneumonia and he was given only a month to live. While he was on his deathbed, he promised to give his entire life to God. And according to Berg, he was miraculously healed soon after that. Now, for the record, there are no military records to corroborate that story. That is literally just from Berg himself. So take that as you will. So after he gets out of the military, Berg moves back to California and begins working as a secretary and a youth director for a church in Sherman Oaks. And at that church, he met Jane Miller and the two eloped on July 22nd, 1944. Berg became an ordained minister four years later, and he began pastoring a church in Valley Farms, Arizona. In 1950, Berg got kicked out of the Missionary Alliance after he was accused of having an affair with a member of his congregation. He insisted that he had been removed because his sermons were a little too fire and brimstone for that soft congregation. And the entire ordeal created a deep hatred for church structure in general. And it sent Berg on a downward spiral in which he experimented with communism. And then he went back to school to study secular things like sociology and psychology. So by 1965, though, things had settled down. Berg had found a job at a Los Angeles TV station working for a televangelist. His mother, Virginia, had also delivered a warning prophecy to him and told David Berg that God had been giving her special messages that he, in turn, needed to relay to the rest of the world. 
And after she told Berg that he had received the understanding of Daniel, whatever that means, uh, he began to believe that he was directly linked to the final seven years of humanity's existence. Berg quickly moved his family over to Miami across the country and started the Florida Soul Clinic, which was a missionary training school. The Bergs, they were, but, you know, they were quickly run out of town because according to authorities, they were too aggressive in their advertising for the school. And Berg, who already hated churches, started blaming all of the Jews living in Miami for using their influence to have them removed. So clearly you can see where this is going. Right. The family moved to Texas, where Berg began training his four children on how to be missionaries. They formed their own singing group, Teens for Christ, and they started performing as part of Berg's traveling evangelism program. Meanwhile, Berg's sexual urges, which had just been growing and growing and growing since he was a teenager, they were irrepressible at this point, and he spent his free time visiting prostitutes and molesting his own children, which is unfortunate. Uh, by 1968, Berg was forced to move his family back to California to live with his mother because he wasn't making enough money to, to sustain the family. By now, the hippie revolution was in full swing, and Berg made it his mission to minister to them and give them an alternative to the stuffy, repressive, overbearing churches that everyone was trying to get away from. All right, it started as just a small gathering at a coffee shop in Huntington Beach, but in less than a year, his congregation grew to over 50 followers. And the reason that his congregation was growing so rapidly was because that Berg was openly encouraging his followers, who were mostly teenagers, to steal their parents' belongings and valuables and just head out on their own. And people in Huntington Beach, the more sensible people, were not okay with that and started pressuring the Bergs to leave. And conveniently, Berg received a message from God that a massive earthquake was going to destroy all of Southern California and that they needed to leave. And figuring he was right, the group began migrating to Arizona and throughout the rest of the United States and Canada. And while most of the group settled in Texas, Berg and about 20 followers settled just outside of Montreal. Even more, at this point, Berg changed his name to Moses and began distributing Mo letters, which he claimed were messages from God that gave him full authority to start banging any and all members of the congregation whenever he wanted. No one even bothered to question it. It's just like, hey, guy gave me a message. I can have sex with all of you right now. And everyone was totally fine with it. Even more. And this is this is what's crazy. Berg took a second wife, uh, just a delusional, silly woman named Karen Zerby. And Berg symbolized Zerby as the new church, while Berg's original wife and four kids were the old church. No one questioned it. Berg's wife, old wife apparently was okay with being the old church or whatever and they just kept going and that allowed you know people in the congregation then started following Berg's example and they all began wife swapping with each other uh in the 1970s the group began performing these sackcloth demonstrations in which they would go to like a heavily trafficked area like Times Square and they would be just dressed in sacks and they covered their faces with ashes and they told people that the world was going to end uh, a journalist came across a group of them camping in a junkyard in New Jersey and dubbed them the children of God and at that point the cult kind of had an official name for the first time so and later, later on, the group Berg and his group left Montreal and joined the rest of the cult back in Texas. 
But because of their limited budget and their inability to generate some kind of income, Berg began imposing very strict rules for their commune, including a two-sheet rule for bathroom visits. I, I don't know how you can go to the bathroom and in certain situations only use two sheets of toilet paper. And then also, like, what kind of toilet paper was it? Was it like, was it single ply or double ply? And if it was double ply, would that count like as just one? Like, do you count both plies as a, sh- I don't know. Anyway, I'm, I'm diving too far into this. It doesn't matter. Anyway, um, <laughs> he also imposed the buddy rule uh, where each member was assigned basically an accountability buddy to make sure that each other, each person continued their Bible studies and never went off alone to think about just how ridiculous all of this was. All right. You just, you stick with someone and you talk about how great things are. And that way you don't get alone with your thoughts and realize how stupid this entire thing is. And because of these rules, somehow the cult continued to grow, you know, and while Berg and his inner circle of members continued their never ending orgy, new members that came in were taught to be celibate and hate organized religion and government entities outside of the cult public pressure continued to rise and you know just because people saw how ridiculous this was and eventually Berg and his new wife fled to London in 1971 while he was in London uh, Berg published several books and began prophesying that the world was going to end in 1989 which would be preceded by seven really bad years he continued leading the cult from overseas, encouraging members to branch out and start many cults all over the country. And within a year, the cult had exploded to over 1,400 members. The next year, in 1972, he released his most radical message yet, that there was really no such thing as having your own family. All right. Instead, everyone was just one giant family. All right. There was no such thing as like, you know, the the traditional mother father daughter relationship is just we're all we're all just one big family all right and in, and out of that came his law of love doctrine which stated that anything and i mean literally anything was fine as long as it was done with love and you know and all that all that, that kind of opens the door for things like theft and murder berg was really focused on the sexual aspect of it He began breaking up marriages within the cult and reassigning those people to be married to other cult members at different locations. He prohibited women from wearing bras. And then in 1974, he introduced flirty fishing. And honestly, this is probably the best recruiting tactic ever devised. And it's one, if you read the news, it's one that, you know, some universities may have been employed to land some football and basketball recruits. Maybe, I don't know, but flirty fishing involved female cult members going out and initiating sexual relations with men in order to get them to join the cult. And when people kind of smartly brought up the notion that all of the ill-advised sex could lead to various diseases, Berg started telling members that Jesus himself suffered from STDs and that as long as they were doing things out of love, everything would be fine. All right. And people believed it and flirty fishing became wildly successful. And by 1976, because of flirty fishing, the cult had 725 colonies and over 4,200 members all over the world. And Berg didn't stop there. In 1978, he rebranded the traditional communion ceremony as, um, come 
Union. If you if you get my drift there, it's uh, kind of a play on words, and the visual is disgusting. Anyway, uh, following a large lawsuit that was brought on by a former member who correctly alleged that Berg had destroyed his marriage, uh, Berg disbanded the cult and told members to just go out and infiltrate society, posing as regular people as a new way to grow the group. He reformed everything back in 1980 under a new name, the Family of Love, and he continued the flirty fishing. By 1981, basically, flirty fishing had turned into a prostitution ring, as if you didn't see that heading in that direction already. To make things worse, over 300 quote-unquote Jesus babies had been born as a direct result because Berg had also prohibited any kind of birth control. Um the FBI had also begun looking into the cult's operations to try and figure out this entire cluster of insanity. Meanwhile, Berg launched a fan club in Greece where he openly sexualized children and encouraged pedophilia. And because Mediterranean Europeans are just generally some of the worst people on the planet, if we're being honest, the cult's membership exploded to over 12,000 people. It tripled in size. Because it was okay, because Berg said it was okay to molest children. And Berg even went so far as to claim that there was no age restriction on sex and that people who thought otherwise were simply just on the devil's side. And this meant that if you could somehow find a way, you could have sex with an unborn baby as long as you were doing it in the name of love. All right. That's the only requirement. All right. You walk up to a pregnant woman and somehow figure out how to have sex with the baby that's inside of her. And as long as you did it with love, you were totally fine in Jesus's eyes. Now, 1989 comes and the world didn't end. Aside from like a fuel crisis and a lot of awful music, the seven years leading up to Berg's prophesied apocalypse had been pretty nice, actually. But no one seemed to care about the incorrect prophecy, probably because everyone was too busy molesting children. David Berg eventually died on October 1st, 1994, and he left the cult in the hands of his new wife, the the new wife, Zerby, you know. And to her credit, she quickly outlawed pedophilia, although several former members say that they continued to practice it and that the prohibition was just kind of a PR stunt. The cult is still around today. It goes by the Family International, and it has roughly 2,000 members in 80 countries. And that, unfortunately without any sort of real resolution is the end of our story. David Berg, total weirdo, just molesting everybody and, you know, with his flirty fishing... I mean, flirty fishing, I mean, if we're going to give him credit here, flirty fishing is pretty genius. Just being like, hey, come join my cult and I'll have sex with you. All kinds of the sex. Okay, yeah, that sounds really great. You know, and it worked. And somehow those guys got roped into a cult and then they weren't allowed to continue having sex with the same person that they had sex with but then they were still being able to have sex with other women and children if they wanted so you know may have been a sweet deal for people i don't know but what did we learn today 
What did we learn? Number one, if your pastor starts talking about how he has received an apocalyptic prophecy from God, go find another church because your pastor is crazy. Number two, if your pastor tells you that Jesus said it was okay to have sex with kids, do not listen to him. Jesus is 100% against sex with kids. And number three, guys, if you're out and a girl starts flirting with you, maybe offers a little mouth hug, as long as you promise to go with her to a special get together later, do not listen. All right. You'll get the clap. You'll find yourself in a cult that you can't get out of. Next week on Our Weird World, I am so excited for this episode. If you have seen the Netflix documentary Abducted in Plain Sight, then you know all about the story of Bob Birchtold and the family in Idaho and all of just the insanity that goes around it. It is a ridiculously stupid story. I'm going to have fun telling it. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends about the show and keep it weird. 